Hello and welcome to our podcast, Just Us. This is episode two of season two. And we're very glad to have you listening. Today, we're going to be talking about slavery in the Bible and how can we understand that and how can we apply that to where we are today. You can watch our podcast on episodes on YouTube and you can tune in on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, we thank you for listening and commenting and we enjoy hearing from you. We have a theme. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Make room for us in your hearts. We hope that our conversations help open hearts so that we can make room for each other and break down barriers that might stand between us. Uh, I'm, I'm Bill Roberts, and with me is Mimi Withers Bruce and John Brunt, Pastor John Brunt. And today we're going to deal with a, a topic that at first may seem counterintuitive. We're going to look at, in the Bible, the subject of slavery in the Bible and try to kind of explore some of the issues involved there. And the question that comes to my mind is, why would we talk about that kind of topic? Why is that something we should take valuable time to consider and to discuss and study about? Well, for one thing, the fact that the Bible accepts slavery, or at least supposedly accepts slavery, well, it does. It has rules about slavery, obviously, um, has been used by many to justify slavery and even to justify racial oppression in other ways. Uh, because, after all, it's in the Bible, and we believe the Bible, and the Bible says it. And so I think that it's really important for us to understand what the Bible's perspective is and how the Bible is trying to move us. Mm -hmm. And I think that we don't really understand the whole situation of race unless we see something of the history of how the Bible has been used in the past as a justification for slavery, as a justification for racism, and get a perspective on what the Bible really says and how we should approach scripture and use scripture in this kind of an issue. So even though atheists and Christians today would be agreed on the fact that slavery is wrong, right? By looking at what the Bible says about slavery, we can understand more of why things happened and maybe perhaps apply it to our day-to-day. Sure, because we still live in a world that is very much affected by the history of 400 years of slavery in America. There's no doubt about that. So in the Old and New Testament, slavery is mentioned. In fact, in Genesis, it mentions um, probably one of the most, um, the verses that has caused the most damage in in the sense of being promoting slavery is the idea that the the curse that Noah pronounced and he pronounced on his son and his grandson Mm. and he mentioned him being a slave. What, how can we understand that in context to um, apply for us today? Well, certainly as you go back historically, it is not true 
that that had racial implications. Right. Uh, in fact, in the Old Testament, it's interpreted in terms of the Canaanites right. who uh, were there in the land when Israel came and justification for Israel taking over that land and God giving it to them. But I think there's a basic principle maybe we need to understand first mm -hmm. before we get into any specifics. Mm -hmm. And that's a principle of how we go about interpreting scripture. Yes. If you go to the Old Testament in Luke 24, uh, pardon me, in Leviticus 24, it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Mm -hmm. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, now does that mean that Jesus is going against the Bible? Hmm. No. Because he says, you've heard it said, but I'm saying something different now. And it really does say that in Leviticus. Mm -hmm. So how do we understand that? Well, I think if we're going to understand it, we have to think about some principles of how we interpret scripture. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, when God relates to his people, mm -hmm. what he does is not the ideal, mm -hmm. but what he does is try to move them in a direction. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus even says that. He talks about, well, you know, Moses said, give her a certificate of divorce, but from the beginning it wasn't that way. Right. Um, so he's saying some things in the law of Moses were, Jesus says, for the hardness of your heart. In right. other words, mm. God did the best he could with you, given your situation and the hardness of your hearts. It wasn't his ideal. It wasn't his ideal. And I take comfort in that because, frankly, there are some things in the Old Testament that I find really horrible. Yes. Yeah, troubling. Just plain horrible. Yes. Now, let's go back to the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What that is really saying is only an eye for an eye and only a tooth for a tooth. You see, the natural human tendency is always to get revenge plus. Yeah. You know, it's not just to get revenge. You don't just get even. You get even and you throw in a little bit. I remember yeah. walking out the door one day and there were two little kids and one of them was about to throw a rock at the other one. And I, I took the rock away and said, I don't think you want to do that. And he said, but he hit me. And the other guy said, but he called me a bad name. Well, you see, bad name, hit, throw a rock, you know, pretty soon you've got nuclear war. It's escalating. Um, <laughs> one, up, one up on each other. One up yeah. on each other. Yeah. So, Leviticus says, nope, just an eye for an eye mm. and a tooth for a tooth. Mm -hmm. Jesus mm -hmm. says, God's ideal is that you don't get revenge at all mm -hmm. and leave that to God. Mm -hmm. Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, Give them something to eat. If your enemy's thirsty, mm -hmm. give them a drink. Mm -hmm. uh, don't get even at all. Yeah. So God was trying to move people in a direction. Right. Yeah. So often when we look at Scripture, it's not enough to think about what does Scripture say about this. Yeah. But we have to think what direction was God trying to push people here. And I believe that scripture is still trying to push us mm -hmm. in directions where the Bible gives us the basic principles, but may move beyond mm -hmm. what was in scripture. Mm 
So I think in the first century, it probably would have been very hard to simply say we're going to do away with slavery because they were part of a whole society where that was part of the fabric of the whole culture. About a third of the people in the Greco-Roman world were slaves. Um, but I, I want to look in a little while at some of the things we find in the New Testament that certainly undercut it and move it in a further direction. Mm. And so I think that basic principle is something that needs to undergird this whole discussion. And that is to understand what God is really saying in Scripture. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to see what he says at a certain point. Mm -hmm. But we have to see what direction God is trying to push us. Mm -hmm. Um. I'm glad you said it that way because, you know, it is kind of people actually take it literally what the scripture says. Oh, you know, slaves, obey your masters and, you right. know, listen, do what you're supposed to do. Um, and I remember and I think I mentioned this before to you. I remember visiting in Washington, D.C., the Bible Museum. And if you haven't been, you must go. Um, it is a fascinating place to be. Mm -hmm. And in the Bible Museum, when you go in and go down, there's a whole section on um, slave Bibles and different width or, I guess, what do you call it? How big they are, how little they were. Um, and it showed, it depicted those, those exhibits, depicted what the slave masters, when they came to the Americas, took out of the actual Bible and gave to, well, the slaves couldn't read, but showed them, the slaves, what the Bible looked like, said, this is the Bible, we're going to read from it. And of course, because they weren't taught to read, they couldn't find out for themselves the content of their, the truth or whatever wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And some of them, all the scriptures were saying, just like what the, the very oppressive traumatic slavery that was described and, and, and justifying their treatment of these people. Um, and that's what they, and there were so many exhibits of, of these Bibles from the, you know, the slave era. And it was just so heartbreaking that yeah. the word of God that we were taught was a book of love, even though there's a lot of sad, horrible things like you stated in the Bible, there was no love you know, those slave master Bibles, there was no love there. So these people had to find a God of love on their own while they were under such severe oppression and trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and I always wonder, what, how would they have found Jesus um, if they were left in their own native countries, in their African homes, you know, without finding a traumatic Jesus? Like, what, was, what did that look like to them? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I can go on about that, but it's, I think you're right. How we interpret the Bible, well, I don't think you're right. I know you're right. How we interpret the Bible directs us into how we're going to behave and to see each other as um, human beings and children of God. And isn't it interesting that the Bible itself explicitly says, don't add or subtract words from the Bible, Yes. which what they were doing extreme subtraction <laughs> and it, it's interesting um, when you think of how we interpret the Bible 
if we miss the fact that there is a plot to the Bible. A plot means that you have to pay attention to the background of the story, the actual action in the story, and then where the story, like you said, where's God moving them? Mm-hmm. I think of Schindler's List. Oh, mercy. That was a very difficult film to watch, and yet I felt like um, I, I wanted to watch it and I needed to watch it to, to, um, because I, I believe that something should never, many things should never happen again, and being informed is part of it. So I, I watched the film, it was traumatic. Uh, I'll never forget the little red coat. Um, But my point is, if you just looked at the part of the story where Schindler was starting in business, he was self-centered, he was um, all about himself and making money. He didn't care about other people. He was unfaithful to his wife. Um, I mean, it was a bad situation. But over the course of the film, there was an awakening in his heart and he became altruistic he risked his life and he gave all his money to preserve the lives of other people. So if you just focus on and, and lift certain parts out of the movie, you're missing the point of it. And so is that kind of what you're saying, John, as far as if you just lift a ver- the verses about slavery and you miss what is God trying to do with the human race? Mm-hmm. That's right. Moving us in a direction, a plot. I like the idea of plot. Yeah. And when we come to the New Testament, right. there are certainly passages that undermine the whole idea of slavery, even though they're not in a position to snap their fingers and do away with slavery in that kind of a society. Right. As I said earlier, in the Greco-Roman world, about a third at least of the people were slaves. That's a big pop- a percentage of the population. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people were set free. There was a lot of manumission that went on. Right. Um, and people, they had a whole class of people called freedmen yeah. who were not yet citizens but could work their way to becoming citizens who were right. freed slaves. Many people would set their slaves free in their will. So mm. when they died, they would uh, set slaves free. However, that became problematic because there were too many freedmen, they decided. So they made rules about, in your will, how many you could set free. Mm. And uh, at, at one time, at least, the, in, this was in the first century, the rules were that if you had from two to ten slaves, you could free half of them. Wow. If you had from ten to thirty, you could do a third. You could free a third of them. Wow. If you had from thirty to a hundred, you could free a fourth of them. And from 100 to 500, you could free a fifth of them. So they didn't want too many freedmen uh, in the society. But at least there was a lot of freeing of slaves. And some people would buy uh, slaves and set them free. Mm -hmm. There were some who thought that whole idea was Mm -hmm. terrible. There were people who were very much prejudiced against freedmen and uh, thought that this idea of setting slaves free was just wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, they shouldn't be part of us. Mm-hmm. Now, their slavery, of course, was not racial. Uh, often it was conquered peoples. Right. Mm-hmm. But it also, you might become a slave by simply being in debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, many ways of becoming a slave. And slavery differed greatly. Mm-hmm. In some households, 
slaves would be the best educated person in the house. Mm -hmm. uh, like tutors and... Tutors. Many times, slaves were the people who educated your children. Mm -hmm. uh, they were well educated. But at the other end of the spectrum, slavery could be just the most cruel and degrading thing. The philosopher Seneca, in his moral epistles, he lived in the first century, um, describes how they would have these lavish banquets and everybody would get drunk and there were slaves who had to get down into the table and clean up all the vomit as mm -hmm. people were so drunk. Uh. And then when it was all over, they had to give sexual favors to the, the people who were now drunk and lustful. Mm -hmm. And it was just you know the most degrading kinds of things you can think about. Mm. So what did the New Testament, it, it seems to me it's important to think, what did the New Testament say about this and what, what direction was it moving Mm -hmm. as it looked at the slavery. And I think the basic principle is from Paul in Galatians 3, mm -hmm. a passage that we all know well mm -hmm. in Galatians 3 where he says, verse 27, as many as you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Mm -hmm. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Mm -hmm. So he says, everybody belongs to God. Mm -hmm. um, there's no longer slave or free. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that if we're faithful to that passage, right. <laughs> we had to make that true in reality. Absolutely. Right. I don't think that was really open to the possibility of Paul, but certainly... That was the direction he was pushing. Would you say, John, would it be mm. fair to say that that that, that statement, by saying that, that masters and slaves were equal in the sight of God, that he was knocking out the philosophical underpinning of slavery, Absolutely. it's incongruent to say you could own someone who is your equal. Yeah. Mm. Because you look at slavery and, and, and both race... Both belong to Christ. Right. Mm -hmm. You look at slavery and racism, to maintain slavery in America... They had to minimize the slaves, and 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 uh, I, I've read documents where Southern slave owners and even theologians would say that 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 um, they weren't as smart and needed needed to be controlled, which is totally wrong mm -hmm. and evil. Yes. But but um, to make it work, you had to somehow minimize people, because if you believe they're both equal. Philosophically, it doesn't work. That's right. And you know, people will point to the passage like in Ephesians 6 where it says, slaves obey your masters. Right. But it's very interesting to see what Paul does there. It, it ends up being quite countercultural <laughs> to his day because this is a kind of literature that was very common mm -hmm. among moral philosophers. Uh, it was called, well, they've given it a German name, Haustafeln which means household tables, or they were rules for the household. Mm. And typically, the rules for the household would speak to the patriarch. Yeah. And they said the basic uh, relationships, and this went back to Aristotle. Aristotle said there are three basic relationships in the household, uh, husband, wife, parent, child, master, slave. Mm -hmm. And 
He says in each case, there's an inferiority that the master needs to recognize that he needs to keep the others in place. And that's what most of this, these household tables did. They spoke only to the patriarch and said, here's how you are to control your slaves. Here's mm -hmm. how you are to control your husband. Here's how you are to control your wife. Mm -hmm. Paul doesn't just speak to the patriarch. Mm -hmm. He speaks to both parties. Mm -hmm. And he starts out with the one that is generally the underdog. Slaves, obey your masters. Yeah, you'd expect that. But then he always turns the table and puts even more responsibility on the other party. He says, but masters, remember that you have a master in heaven hmm. and treat your slaves the way your master has treated you. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that sure changes things, doesn't it? Right. Um, and then you hmm. have this case in Philemon where Paul sends a runaway slave back to his master right. and says, I want you no longer to consider him slave, but consider him your brother. Mm. And accept him back. Yeah. And then he has this intriguing thing where he says, now, I know you're going to do what I ask, but, but I know you're even going to do more than what I ask. <laughs> um, he, let, let me read it in Philemon. Um, so if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And as I say, uh, not, more, not as a slave, but as a beloved brother. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay it. Of course, I'm not saying that you would owe me your very life. Um, little... Make it hard for him to send uh, Paul a bill, wouldn't yeah. it? Paul um, mess around. <laughs> yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Mm. And so it's very clear that what he wants is for Philemon to let Onesimus free. Now, if you take, because in some of the slave Bibles that I remember seeing, they don't read the rest of the verse, you know, about how Paul describes what he wants, you know, to happen there. They just cut it off that slaves obey your masters. Right. And then I think that justifies the evil that was de depicted upon, you know, that traumatic, physical, right. emotional, mental, spiritual right. oppression. Um, from a slave. So I, I always wonder, because sometimes the Bible leaves you with cliffhangers, you know. Um, what happened with those two? You know? Oh, you know, wouldn't you love to know? <laughs> yeah. I would love to know what happened when Onesimus went back. The very fact that we have the letter yeah. would seem to suggest that Philemon didn't just tear it up and throw it in the fire. <laughs> um, so, you know, right. he must have... Uh, Taken it to heed, at least uh, to some degree. Because we don't have a lot of Paul's letters to a single individual like that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now, there's an there's a intriguing possibility, but it is anybody's guess. There is, later in the first century, a bishop in that same area named Onesimus. 
interesting. And some people wonder if it could be the same, but there's no way of knowing. You yeah. know what I've always wondered? Interesting. In um, Acts 16, when you have Lydia, who is very cosmopolitan and cultured and wealthy um, in the fashion industry with purple cloth, she becomes a believer. They meet in her house, and then the next person converted is a slave girl who Paul delivered from the demon. I've always wondered if Lydia purchased her freedom. Because in Philippians, you have the church meeting you know, there. It'll be interesting to, to find out. Why do you think that um, neither Jesus or Paul explicitly forbade slavery? Because we know that it is contrary to God's nature. And, you know, because he values everybody the same. Why do you think they didn't explicitly condemn it? Mm. I think given the social situation of the world then, right. it would have been impossible right. to end slavery just, you know, by saying, okay, we're against it. Let's end it now. They didn't have that kind of power. Right. However... One of the reasons that so many people were attracted to Christianity was that within the community, right. there was this equality. And yes, there were still slaves, but of course, slavery would be completely transformed if you did what Paul said here. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, for instance, in Romans 16, where Paul sends greetings to the people in Rome from Corinth, where he's writing, and in one verse, he mentions greetings from two different people. He says that Erastus greets them and Quartus mm -hmm. greets them. Mm -hmm. Erastus, he says, was a city official. And we know that there is actually an inscription that's been found mm -hmm. in Corinth. In fact, it's out there now. You can see it out in front of the Odeon um, about Erastus, mm -hmm. who was a city official. So mm -hmm. here's a guy who's you know, rich. In fact, it says in this inscription that he purchased uh, part of his uh, portfolio by building a street at his own expense. So here's a guy who's rich. And in the same verse, Paul says, Erastus greets you and Cortus greets you. Well, we don't know anything about Cortus except that he was certainly a slave because a name like Cortus was always a slave name. Cortis simply means fourth, and it was mm -hmm. slaves that were given numbers for names, you know, oh. first, second, third, mm, fourth. I didn't know that. So oh. Cortis oh. simply means fourth. Wow. So Erastus, the city official, and fourth uh, greet you. Interesting. So here's a city official and a slave in the same verse. Paul that. is sending greetings from both of them. Very interesting. Wow. That is, that is very, very interesting. Um, those nuances that we that we are not aware of. When you think in terms of, go ahead, John. Well, there's one other verse before we leave the New Testament yeah. that I, I've got to mention. Yeah. Because I think it's easy to miss, and it's probably the most poignant critique of slavery that you find in the New Testament. Well, maybe Philemon would be, but um, it's in the book of Revelation. In chapter 18... You have the fall of Babylon. Right. And 
there's this mourning that goes on over Babylon being right. fallen. Right. The kings mourn, the sea captains mourn, the merchants mourn. Right. Because they've all been doing pretty well by Babylon. Certainly there are overtones of this being Rome. And when the merchants mourn, and by the way, this is kind of in the form of a funeral dirge. Right. So it's contrasting the great hymns around the throne for God with a funeral dirge for Babylon. And when the merchants mourn for Babylon, they weep because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Mm. And it lists all the things, a long list. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Three long verses of all the things these merchants sold. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet cloth, citron wood. And it goes on and on and on and on. And then it comes to the end. And it says horses and carriages and people. Mm. That is the souls of human beings. Mm. Wow. Slaves, you know. Mm. Wow. That's what's so bad about Babylon. Yeah. yeah. Is that Babylon sells people. Mm. That's pretty strong. Yeah. That is extremely strong. That is yeah. extremely strong. Um, and, and very poignant, I have somebody close to me who for two years worked at a, a center helping trafficked women to escape. Mm -hmm. So even in our day, there are issues yes. like that. And it's interesting that you cannot have a dynamic where some people own other people without exploitation happening. Of course. Of course. And, and it's very clear that God is against exploitation. And he is, that is something that, um, you, think, you think, for example, of polygamy. It happened commonly in, in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And yet God's design did not include polygamy. God did not make several wives for Adam or several husbands for Eve. If, if slavery was really something that was, uh, that was in God's plan, he would have created, along with Adam and Eve, he would have created some other people to serve them. But he didn't. <laughs> and so, um, but people, um, some of the, the theologians around the time in, before the Civil War would, would use scriptures to try to justify slavery. Absolutely. Um, there were many of them mm -hmm. who said it was absolutely clear yeah. that the Bible supported slavery and to go against slavery was to go against the Bible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's funny how there are nuggets, like you said, the plot of yeah. the Bible, mm -hmm. the plot. even from the beginning to end, there's slavery from the beginning to the end in different forms, whether it's a conquered people or whether it's, um, right. you know, you owe me money or you're, you're, you're in debt. Right. You know, or you've been captured, and, right. or you've, it's a racial thing, you right. know. Um, and I think, but those little nuggets, you're talking about, you know, the superiority or the marginalized, marginalizing people. It talks about, you know, not oppressing. Right. Speak up for those who are oppressed right. and, and dominated people. Right. Mm -hmm. May I read a couple of these Please. statements Absolutely. from uh, ministers in the... Yeah. Civil War era. Here's one named John Henry Hopkins, writing in 1864. The Bible's defense of slavery is very plain. 
St. Paul was inspired and knew the will of the Lord Jesus Christ and was only intent on obeying it. And who are we that in our modern wisdom presume to set aside the word of God and invent for ourselves a higher law than those holy scriptures which are given to us as a light to our feet and a lamp to our paths in the darkness of a sinful and polluted world. Mm. Um, but that's a very literalistic view of the Bible, isn't it? Absolutely. Here's one more. This is, um, the he was actually a governor of South Carolina. It is vain to look to Christ or any of his apostles to justify such blasphemous perversion of the word of God as abolitionists. Oh. Although slavery in its most revolting form was everywhere visible around them, no visionary notions of piety or philanthropy ever tempted them to gainsay the law, that is the New Testament writers, even to mitigate the cruel severity of the existing system. On the contrary, regarding slavery as an establishment as well as an inevitable human condition of human society, they never hinted at such a thing as the termination of slavery on earth, any more than that the poor would cease from the land. It's impossible, therefore, to suppose that slavery is contrary to the will of God. It is equally absurd to say that American slavery differs in form or principle from that of the chosen people. We accept the Bible as the definition of our slavery and its precepts as the guide for our conduct. Wow. It's hard to listen to, that honestly. Is. It is. It's hard to listen to. So what happens to religion if we interpret the Bible in a very literalistic way? In other words, okay, oh, look, look, there's, there was slavery in the Bible, mm -hmm. so it must be God's plan. What, what does that do to our faith if we read the Bible in a very literalistic way that, like that? Mm. I, I think we, none of us would be here. Yeah. You know, none of us would be here because... Leviticus has some very literal punishments or repercussions for some for wrongdoing. Right. You know, um, where's the moral compass? Yeah. Where do you say, how am I going to interpret, like you know, what the Bible says and the direction that I'm supposed to go? Do I go right. and drag somebody off to the edge of town and stone them for right. for doing something? Um, I'm I'm sure that happened. You know, but where where do we where do you stop and you and then grace enters right. um you know and then like you said where do we see each other as equally you know right. justified and under the under the cross yeah you know and i don't i that's a that's a i don't know how that just well i guess i know how sin entered the world right. but then how do you bring us back together right but you know i, I know. saw a person argue just not that long ago I mean within the last two weeks, so very recent. As part of uh, fights going on in a school board about what kind of history ought to be taught to kids in school, that was saying we need to realize that slavery was not that bad in America. Um, that think of how much better off these people were coming to America than if they had stayed kind of savages in Africa. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to get over this business of beating ourselves up about slavery in the past. It really wasn't that bad. 
which when you think of, uh, I've been doing some reading recently on trauma, and trauma can actually be passed through the generations. Of course. And the trauma that that entailed and the brutality to maintain the system of slavery, the fear and the intimidation and the brutality that they had to go to in order to maintain that freedom. The human, the human, the human heart has a tremendous impulse to be free. And so they had to be so barbaric to maintain that system that there's no, for, in my mind, there's no way it can be justified as a, as a biblical. Um, That's right. Yeah. Um, but the systems that, so many of the systems we've had since. Right. The whole Jim Crow. Right. And the laws that we've talked about in previous right. uh, episodes of this podcast, right. uh, the sundown towns, and the uh, housing that you brought to the us, redlining. Uh, the redlining, yeah, those things really simply perpetuated the system under a different name and under different, right. uh, you know, a, a different social situation. Right. No longer slavery, but it certainly perpetuated what slavery started and tried to keep the same people at a different social and economic level, mm -hmm. which was a form of a kind of slavery. Yes. Yeah. I, what was striking to me, um, a good friend recommended I watch a series, I think it, I don't remember what platform it is on, maybe Amazon Prime, called The Underground Railroad. And it's a book also written by Colson Whitehead. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Colton, Colton Whitehead. <clears throat> One of the, I had to stop watching the series because it was, it was very traumatic, but it was very, the reality of what happened, and it was, it was what happened to these people, um, what they showed, he was very, it was extreme because slavery was extreme, was. racial, traumatic slavery. It was a very traumatic experience. And what he described, I'll never forget. And it just struck me as incredible and kind of scared me a little bit because um, one, of the, one of the paid, what do you call those people who capture slaves, the slave catchers, yeah. caught a runaway slave and entered this town. And the first thing you hear when they enter this town in the middle of the town is like a, a, a gazebo kind of thing where the townspeople are gathered there and, and they're singing an old hymn. Now this is a white town. <clears throat> and they're singing an old hymn, very famous one. I think it was, um, I don't remember what it was. Maybe it was Jesus near, Keep Me Near the Cross or some very famous hymn. And these people were singing their hearts out under this gazebo and it was a white town. And this, the slave catcher, he was, he was trying, he was looking for a runaway slave who one of the um, abolitionists was hiding in his home in that town. And I will never forget what I saw. And I had to stop watching it because it struck me too deeply. Right. Um, while these people were singing this hymn, one that we all love, um, they brought, they, they brought a, uh, they, had, they had found a slave and two of the men, the townsmen, brought her to the gazebo in the middle of the town. And 
there was a preacher, he had a Bible. When they were finished singing, he read some scriptures. And in the meantime, they had this black slave um, just looking very bedraggled and brought her to the town, to the middle of the town. And right there, as this man was reading something in the Bible, I don't even remember what he was reading because it just, whatever he read was just overshadowed by what happened. Um, He read something, and then after that, another man came and said, this is what we do, this is what we do to um, these N-word people. This is what we do to them who try to come into our town. They don't belong here. And then ended up stabbing her and killing her right there after they had just sung a hymn, after they had just sung their hearts out, and after they had just read the Bible. And they did this to this woman right there, and I was like, okay. It's a bit much. I think what bothered me the most was the way they were singing, you know, of their quote-unquote faith, and then the way they were reading from the Bible with such gusto and affirmation, I guess. Yeah. And then what they did to this person. And I said, that's it. Right. I, I couldn't finish watching. And so that contradiction, yeah. I didn't understand it. I don't know if I cause should say if I didn't understand it. I don't know how they go together. I don't know. They don't. I guess I should I don't know how they saw that it went together, yeah. that it was right to do this to a fellow human being. And if they're reading Paul who says there's no Jew or Greek, you know, no male or female, how? So that bothered me to my core, thinking that even now in our churches, people are arguing about critical race theory, arguing about racism doesn't exist. And, you know, there is a superiority, you know, amongst us and it is right. I don't get it. I heard a lecture once by a historian, not talking about slavery, actually talking about uh, some more recent conflicts like in Kosovo and um, some of the other places where there have been some horrific kinds of persecution. Right. And she was saying that to have that kind of cruelty, you have to have two things. You have to have godfathers and grandmothers. And I thought, what in the world? She said, well, there are godfathers who are seeking power. But he said it's the, she said it's the grandmothers who tell the stories that dehumanize uh, another group of people. Uh, that you have to have stories that dehumanize because you can't do those things right. to a fellow human being. But if you have enough stories uh, that tell of a history that says these people are not really human, why then you can have that kind of cruelty. Mercy. It, it almost desensitizes. Yes. I remember, I remember re, um, hearing wow. that in Rwanda, where the different tribes, the Hutus and the Tutsis, yes. but they would call the Tutsis cockroaches. Mm. In other words, they had to dehumanize yes. them to feel justified in the, barbar- the barbaric and the cruel and inhumane treatment, which that's the whole point of... Jesus, when he read his mission statement, when he went to Nazareth in, in Isaiah 61, one of the lines in there, he came to bring freedom for the captives. And if that was Jesus' core mission, <laughs> if that was his core mission, now didn't, 
Isn't it true, John, that our first general conference president for the Seventh-day Adventist Church, his home was a station in the Underground Railroad. The yes, underground I was railroad. going to mention that when you mentioned the Underground Railroad. We have a history in our own denomination of pioneers who were strong abolitionists. And our very first general conference president, John Byington, actually led one of the stations on the Underground Railroad. Wow. And um, another one of our early leaders, Ellen White, wrote that it was a sin for people to obey the fugitive slave law, which said you had to return slaves to their masters if they were caught. And uh, she actually called it a sin, said to, mm. to obey this law is a sin. Wow. That's a significant statement. Mm -hmm. The idea was that our conscience is accountable to God, first Not of all. Man, yeah. mm -hmm. And that is, so, We've talked about slavery in the Bible, and we've talked about some of the misconceptions that people have had. How does this relate to, to where we're living now? How can we apply this, um, this understanding to our generation today? What I would want to say is the Bible's still pushing. It's still it's pushing. It's still pushing because we aren't there yet. We're not no, there And not. we have ways to go. I mean, as Jesus talks about the kind of love that creates community that overcomes all of these boundaries, we've still got a lot of boundaries in our society and a lot of prejudices. And so we still need to be pushed. And I think scripture needs to keep pushing us and we need to be open to that pushing. And so this history is very relevant to right now, as I see it. Mm -hmm. I would agree 100%. Mm -hmm. um, history has shown us, or the Bible has told us that there's nothing new under the sun. Right. And it keeps repeating, and it keeps repeating, and it seems like we're being, I don't know if we're being pushed harder, or if the pushing is, is being, is softening or laying off. Because either we're, what did they say in the Bible? We're like a, a hard-headed people, or, you know, we don't want to learn and we don't want to listen. Yeah. Um, and I just want to mention, I, and I don't know if either of you have read this book. I started to read it and I had to pause. It's called um, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. I started it too and it got a little much Ooh, for me. By James H. Cohn. Um, I started to read it, read it and it's deep. Um, and I believe, I haven't gotten that far yet, but I believe they're comparing, you know, how slaves, the, the whole Jim Crow era with all the lynchings happen to how, you know, Jesus died on a tree. And that horrific death was the same as the horrific death on a cross. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm just getting into it, so I can't elaborate a whole lot more, but I, for right now, it is very, it's a very intellectual book, which sometimes is over my head, but it's deep. Uh -huh. and, and I'm starting to understand that this is just a, it's showing us that how this is not different. God knows our suffering. He knew the suffering of the people, the, the, the enslaved, you know, the captives. And, and for today, there are so many different forms of, of slavery. Uh -huh. And it may not be in the literal sense that we saw, you know, with the African slaves in the Americas, but there's, there's still slavery of this, um, this new Jim Crow 
of racism, of shootings, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's sometimes too much, and it has permeated more in our society, mm-hmm. and it's in our church with the racism, mm-hmm. um, the microaggressions, the biases, unconscious, whatever they are. Um, we need to address it, and we, like you said, uh, Pastor John, we need to allow ourselves to be pushed out of our comfort zones. And I think the Bible is about that because Jesus certainly did that to the religious leaders and even to all those people in society. He, he pushed and he pushed and he pushed. And he used commoners and intellectuals like Paul to help push to push Paul out of his comfort zone, um, out of oppressing people and killing them for their religious beliefs. So I... I am willing to be pushed myself. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that I don't know, you know, and I'm willing to be pushed myself. I think we need to take ourselves out of our comfort zones and understand our history and other people's, um, you know, other people's histories and experiences mm-hmm. so we can be equal. Mm-hmm. I don't know what equal means, but, you know, equal under the cross of Christ. Because if if you, you think in terms of some of what we read from the theologians about the time of the Civil War, mm-hmm. uh, and they were justifying, they were reading the scripture very literal, literalistic. But my question would be, if the blood of Jesus applies to every race of people, then no race of people are superior or inferior to any other race. Of course. They're all, they're all God's children, and that if the blood of Christ applies and brings salvation to everyone, then it's an insult to that cross if we as humans value or devalue some mm-hmm. more than others. Absolutely. It's incongruent with the creator who created us, and when he recreated us at the cross, through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, yeah. and... What, is, what do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I, I think of, the, the, of Jesus, one of my favorite stories is in Matthew chapter 15, where Jesus, the only time besides when he went to Egypt that he left Judea and Galilee, and he traveled up to Tyre and Sidon to visit that Syrophoenician woman. And... The disciples, um, she came asking to heal her daughter, and Jesus didn't answer her. And the disciples said, send her away. Um, And then she kept asking, and so he said, well, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And and then she, I, I just love her face, she knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, help me. And then he said a line that honestly is painful for me. It is not right to take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. Mm-hmm. He actually called her a dog. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to preach on that verse for years. <laughs> Until in the Greek, it's the little dogs. Mm. He was signaling to her, it's the puppies, the little dogs that are part of the family. Um, but the reason I think that story is so applicable to what we're talking about is 
he almost like with her acted out a drama for the disciples to see this is how they would treat someone. And then she perseveres and that line that is one of the great lines in literature, in my opinion, humor and perseverance and tenacity. I mean, this woman, we have a lot to learn from women, I think, John. And, <laughs> and she said, ah, oh, yes, Lord. But even the dogs can eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Um, to me, that is so profound, her saying, whatever you have for me, if it's from you, it's, it's, it's good enough. And then Jesus was amazed at her, her faith. But to me, he acted out that drama to show that her faith, her ability to have faith in him meant that she was of equal value with the disciples. And it was almost like he was holding up a mirror for them to see um, the prejudice that was in their own heart. Mm -hmm. So what, um, any, any, um, any last thoughts or comments on this subject as we... I always like to... I always like that scripture in Revelation, the, and it's a song as well, that these are they who have come through great tribulation. Right. You know, and they've washed their robes yeah. white in the blood of the lamb. And, yeah. and it also talks about, in, in Revelation, it's so profound that um, standing before the throne, there's a whole multitude of people. Yeah. And these people represented every nation that ever existed, every tribe, every language, every color. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that goes along with what you read about from Paul, who said there's no Jew or Greek or no male or female or no rich or poor or whatever. Um, there's no slave or master because when you stand, when you stand before God, we're not going to be judged on who was a master or who was a slave. No. You know? And when you get to heaven, there isn't going to be a section for slaves, former slaves or whatever, or masters or right. rich or poor, or Jews or Gentiles. That's not going to exist. Mm -hmm. And I believe, uh, and, and I just love those scriptures. Um, and just that visual in my mind is just a beautiful sight. And I don't know if at any point any of that will be eliminated before Jesus, mm -hmm. you know, comes again. I don't believe it will happen. I don't know. Um, but I believe we, we need to strive for that vision to be pushed, like you said, you know, um, to do whatever we can to, if, if your gift is like your very, the person who's close to you, who deals with traffic women is your gift to, to really help release the captives yeah. and to bring them some peace, right. you know, you know, or to be pushed out of our comfort zones. I think that is what we need to strive for. It's relevant today. There's so many types of slavery. Um, and I think racism is a mental slavery. It is. You know? Um, and we need to be pushed out of those and pushed into something better. And so I keep that song in my head, These Are They. And I keep that vision of the multitude of people. Because that gives me hope, you know? Yeah. Um, that yes, there is a time when none of this is gonna, this evil is gonna exist. Mm -hmm. And all of that will be the former. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is, that is, that is very true. And 
I agree with you, Mimi. Um, sin being what it is, I, I'm not sure it will be, you know, the racism will be eradicated until but Jesus that's comes. That's never an excuse, is it? No, it's not. not. No. Do all we can. No, but 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 my the the concluding statement I wanted to make as a result of it, it's never an excuse, is that in Daniel chapter 12 there is a very very powerful verse that. Um, that gives me goosebumps, literally. It says, um, many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. And it says, the wicked will not understand, but the righteous will understand. Mm. Understand what? What God is doing, where he's pushing us, and what he's how he's trying to restore this broken world that he never intended for there to be sorrow and pain and mistreatment and... and trauma <laughs> and so i do believe while i well i agree that it will never be fully eradicated i do believe that as christians we can be an example that what jesus can do among pe among people mm -hmm. among humans yep we can't forget the past the past has happened yeah it's just like we can't forget our own personal past we can yeah. move forward and be and from it to something better. You can't forget that slavery existed. You can't forget that, you know, the Holocaust happened. You can't forget that the Japanese right. internment happened. You can't forget, you know, the Rwanda crisis happened. You cannot forget any of that stuff. And it's, and it's there to, because of what those things that have happened, it's there to push us forward to something better. I think that's what, yeah. you know, the whole Bible, those beautiful threads of, of love and grace and truth are all about. Yeah. To push us beyond those horrific events yeah. in history. Yeah. You know, you can't forget it. You can't. But you can move forward from it um, to something better. Yeah. And to keep hoping that something better. Yeah. Desmond Tutu said something that I think is really profound. That, that to move forward and to heal, the stories have to be told. You can't just, that's in the past. The stories have to be told and forgiveness has to be extended yeah. for us to heal and move on. And it takes both. You can't, it's cheap forgiveness to just say, okay, everything's forgiven. There needs to be witness be, to be born, but then it also needs to, and that's where the grace of Christ uh, flows in. And uh, any, last, any last comments, either of you? Just very quickly, I think we also need to acknowledge that wrong has been done, you know? Yeah. And just like for our personal selves, I've done wrong. Yeah. And if you've wronged somebody, if you sinned against God, yeah. and you have to acknowledge that you've done something wrong. Um, and America has an issue with acknowledging right. that wrong has been done, right. that great harm has been done. I find it interesting that in Nehemiah chapter 9, when they come, they, they've rebuilt the walls and they're coming to dedicate it. And part of their worship service, they have a long worship liturgy there. And part of their worship service is it says, they confess the sins of their ancestors. Mm. And I'm always intrigued by that. And I'm sure some people would say, why in the world yeah. would you ever confess the sins of your ancestors? You weren't there. You didn't do that. Right. But they confess the sins of their ancestors because that is part now of the renewal and rededication. Yeah. That's beautiful. And, 
and that's actually very personal for me, John. Um, my great-grandfather's name was Eugene B. Stonewall Jackson, Robert E. Lee Roberts. Oh, my. <laughs> so that's very clearly. Wow. You, you can tell what side he was on. And, you know, what's interesting about that is the story I, I went, I'm, there, I have an uncle that I met once in my life. I went preaching in Alaska, and I met him in Nome, Alaska. And he told me stories about my great-grandfather. And he was a mean, I, I mean, the kids would leave home as soon as they could. He was, he was abusive, mm. and he was, he was not a, a, a nice person. So, but, but again, the cross of Jesus, because Christianity entered my family, and there's hope. So um, thank you so much for uh, tuning in and listening to the podcast. We are very passionate about moving us forward, like you said, John, to what God wants us to be, that, like the Lord's Prayer said, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs>